like a rousing chorus of the, the state song. At yeah. This hour of the morning. <laughs> that is a cover version, by the way, of course. That's is not the really? original. Yeah, yeah. No? No, I thought that's the way they wrote it back in the 1800s. Uh, President's Day, of course, was Monday, although it wasn't really Monday. It's tomorrow. It's the 22nd. Everybody knows that. But uh, as for convenience, put it on Monday. Felix is probably against this whole Monday holiday thing, aren't you? Oh, I love Monday holidays. Oh, you you do? <laughs> All right, so it doesn't go that far. You're, you're uh, uh, what is a detail, usually. Anyway, uh, a refresher on how we came to be called Washington uh, and the meaning of the name. There's a, a hidden meaning to the name? Yeah, well, I mean, tomorrow's the 22nd. That's George Washington's 292nd birthday, if you're keeping track. Now, in just a moment, I will reveal what scholars, scholars believe the name Washington actually means. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, wake the kids, phone the neighbors. Yep. Um, before I do that, I want to remind everyone what we know about Washington and how it came to be our state's name. And that's been a tradition here on Seattle's Morning News back when I started doing this segment in the 1950s. Now, um, <laughs> yeah. Washington Territory was carved from Oregon Territory and officially created in March 1853 when that lame duck Whig Party president, Millard Fillmore, signed the bill a few days before he left office. And this is the only part of the radio dial where anyone will ever say lame duck Whig Party president. That's true. Now, Fillmore was vice president, became president when Zachary Taylor died in office in 1850. And then at the Whig convention in 1852, Winfield Scott got the nomination and then lost the election to Franklin Pierce. So Fillmore was a lame duck for eight months. Can you imagine? Um, The place was supposed to be called Columbia Territory after the river, which was named by the American merchant Robert Gray after his ship in 1792. So Columbia had become the name of the region drained by the river, which is why the Canadian province just north of us is called British Columbia. Makes perfect sense, right? Right. The name Switcheroo came at the last moment when a helpful member of Congress from Kentucky suggested honoring the first president by calling the new territory Washington. Locals here were not happy. There's lots of old editorials from the time saying it would confuse everybody. Now, U.S. Representative Richard H. Stanton was that Kentucky lawmaker's name. And just eight years later, during the Civil War, he would be accused of assisting rebel recruits who wanted to sneak out of Kentucky, join the Confederate Army, and then come back and attack. He was actually arrested and sent to prison, but was released after he swore loyalty oath to the United States. And how, who, who can't identify with that? Right? Who so, else here hasn't been so arrested? So he's eligible for higher office still. Yeah, that's exactly. It's that swearing that yeah. loyalty thing. Right. Now, as for the reputation of our state's namesake, we've talked before about how George Washington, the man, um, enslaved people, had enslaved people at Mount Vernon. We've also reported that some historians believe he evolved and changed his views on slavery. We know he did free those enslaved persons when he died. Okay, so here's the new information. I was doing some research recently about place names in the U.K., and I came across a community in northeast England called Washington. It's about 275 miles north of London, about 100 miles south of Edinburgh. It was traditionally a coal mining area, but industrialized decades ago, attracted some manufacturing, including a big Nissan plant. The town of Washington in the U.K. is where George Washington's ancestors are from. Part of an estate the Washington family lived in until about 600 years ago is still standing. It's been restored. It's now owned by the National Trust and is open to the public. Jed Parker is the chair of Washington History Society. That sounds like someplace around here, but it's actually in the UK. Mm. Now, in a Zoom call the other day, he told me that the brick built the building associated with George Washington's ancestors is a very old and very modest brick structure known as Old Washington Hall, or excuse me, Washington Old Hall. The Old Hall is a, is a relatively small manor house. Um, if, if you were to visit here, you're, you're done and dusted within the hour. Um, we're not talking about a, you know a grand property with um, you know, lots of rooms and um, uh, lots of things to see. But but it's like a little gem. I like that phrase, you're done and dusted within the hour. Um, now, the first ancestor of George Washington to come to North America was his great-grandfather, John Washington, who arrived in 1656. But back in England, Jed Parker says the Washington family had moved out of Washington Old Hall much earlier than that, way back in 1399. 
And so it's it's a couple of hundred years later that the um, the Bishop of Durham purchases it for his uh, for his grandson, and it, in essence, it gets remodeled then. So although it's 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 got some elements that go back to uh, the Norman times and maybe earlier, the majority of it was put together in the 17th century. So again, we have to tell our American friends that it's um, most of it's a fake. <laughs> <laughs> so the coolest part of the story is that George Washington's surname comes from that community as surnames were solidifying 800 years or so ago, says Jed Parker, around the time one of George Washington's ancestors settled there. And so it's possible to analyze the syllables and come up with a meaning for it. We believe that the, the name Washington uh, dates back to Anglo-Saxon times. Um, and if you pick it apart, it's in sort of three parts. Uh, Wasa, the start of it, which is seen to be the possible name of a, of a Saxon or possibly a Saxon leader or chief. And Inga, uh, very simply the, uh, the family of, and then as is very common in, in lots of place names, Tun, town, we get the word town. So, you know, putting the three together, um, you'd say the, uh, the the land or the area, the farm or so on of the um, the Wassa family. So that's what we're named after. We're named after the Wassa family, a Saxon chief from more than a thousand years ago. Now, there are other theories about the name, but the one Jed Parker shared seems the most reasonable. He says there's nothing planned for the birthday celebration tomorrow, but there will likely be a bigger deal in 2032 for the tricentennial. And remember that corny old joke where someone would ask you, hey, Dave, is there a 4th of July in England? Mm-hmm. At Washington Old Hall, the answer is yes. We always have a July the 4th ceremony, and um, that's been running since 1956. And it's actually quite a big deal um, in terms of getting local schools along and... Um, uh, local dignitaries, and if there's any American that's within sniffing difference, they are lassoed and brought in and have to uh, say something. Yeah. So it should be a big deal. <laughs> in 2032, that will be the 300th birthday of Washington, and as Sully knows, it'll also be the 100th birthday of the Aurora Bridge. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. 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 So that's on the, I was looking up, it's on the Tyne River. I think I've been there because yeah? back okay. in the in 1977, we, we did a trip to uh, England and they were taking us to all these, you know, links to America. Oh, cool. I think we visited that place. Yeah, I'd like to go. Uh, that, the fact the fact we're the farm of the area of the Wassa family. That's what yes. Washington, Washington actually means something. Wassa. Wow. Blows, blows my mind anyway. Mm. <laughs> Thank you, Felix. <laughs> All of Felix's features are at MyNorthwest.com. An update on the war in Gaza. We're going to hear from CBS correspondent Linda Gradstein reporting from Jerusalem. I began by asking Linda for the status of the latest proposed hostage deal between Israel and Hamas. It's not clear exactly what the status is. Uh, They're not close. That's what is clear. Um, There are negotiations ongoing between Israel, Qatar, Egypt, and Hamas. Uh, However, the price that Hamas is demanding and what Israel is willing to give is still very, very far apart. Hamas wants a long-term ceasefire and the release of hundreds, if not thousands, of Palestinian prisoners, including many who have murdered Israelis. 
Israel is willing to agree to a temporary ceasefire, maybe five or six weeks, and the release of some prisoners. Uh, that said, there are still more than 100 uh, Israeli hostages in Hamas custody, and there is growing fear in Israel about their life. Yesterday, or two days ago, in fact, the army released new footage of a mother and her two very young children, one of whom turned one year old while in Hamas captivity. Um, the footage is from October 7th a few hours after she was kidnapped, but it was found in Gaza, uh, and there is really growing fear for their life. They are the two youngest hostages. So some of the hostages are, are, are women, some are elderly men, uh, but it does not seem like it's that close to a deal. It's hard to imagine the kind of misery this is putting the families through. Is there a deadline here? Well, there's see, you know, Israel's um, former defense minister, and he's a member of the war cabinet, and he's uh, often talked about as a possible successor to Prime Minister Netanyahu. Benny Gantz said that if by the beginning of the Muslim holy month of Ramadan, which is around March 10th or 11th, depending on the moon, uh, the hostages are not released, then Israel will go into the southern city of Rafah, where a million, over a million Palestinians have been sheltering, uh, you know, trying to escape the, the Israeli war. So there does seem to be a deadline uh, that's, and Ramadan is, starts in about three weeks. Um, but it's not clear if that's a hard deadline or that's just a way of trying to put pressure on Hamas. We're hearing from CBS correspondent Linda Gradstein in Jerusalem, and I was curious about whether members of the Israeli government are at all concerned about the recent ruling from the International Court of Justice in The Hague, which ruled that Israel's occupation and long-term treatment of the Palestinian people is illegal. Israelis are very concerned about what the U.S. says as Israel's closest ally. I think they see the court, uh, the as the ICJ, they say that it's a bit ridiculous. You know, Hamas gunmen, thousands of Hamas gunmen came into Israel on October 7th, murdered and raped women, children, babies, um, and Israel is the one that's on trial. So I think most Israelis are kind of dismissing uh, the court and not and feel like they're not going to let the court determine what they feel they need to do for their security. Has anybody brought a, a court case against Hamas? So, yes, they are. I know they're preparing a court case against Hamas. Um, and but I think Hamas is not a party to the ICJ. So it's not clear where they could bring that court case. Uh, there is a new report that actually was released this week about Hamas violence and, and specifically sexual violence against women. And, and it, it, it's really difficult to read it. Just the things that happen are absolutely horrific. And there's also reports that Hamas intended to go to a prison in Ashkelon and basically free all of the Palestinian prisoners there. And they got mixed up and the GPS didn't quite work. And so they didn't do that. But it is important to remember that Hamas took over more than 20 communities along the border with Gaza, many of the residents of whom were longtime peace activists and would like drive Palestinian patients to Israeli hospitals and things like that. So the events of October 7th are, are in, continue to be incredibly traumatic for all Israelis. So I think there's there's a sense among most Israelis that the war in Gaza is justified. Um, it's not clear, you know, whether how large the death toll really is. Hamas says it's now more than 29,000. That apparently includes Hamas fighters. Maybe t Israel says 10,000, 12,000. But in any case, you're talking about 
ten, you know, many, many civilians yeah. being killed. But I think most Israelis still believe that it was justified and they say they didn't start this war. And if if Hamas surrendered and released the hostages, the war could end tomorrow. CBS correspondent Linda Gradstein in Jerusalem. Your daily dose of kindness now brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. At least one in three college students experiences food insecurity. And CBS's Elise Preston has the story about how one university is serving up a solution. At the University of California, Davis, students may have an appetite for knowledge. Rent is unbelievably expensive. And it's unfortunate that food and groceries and just basic needs costs are so gigantic. Senior Aaron Cashin showed up 90 minutes before the doors opened at the on-campus food pantry. I literally structure my class schedules around being able to come to the pantry. It's run by students, many of whom are working here because they found help here. It feels good to get back and know that I'm like, I'm needed here. Can you describe what it feels like when you don't know where your next meal is coming from? Just like really like anxious. Leslie Kemp runs the university's basic needs center. She believes it's important to offer items like fresh produce, some of which is grown on the student farm and donated to the pantry. A dollar today buys a third of the commodities that it bought when I was in school. There are now close to 800 food pantries on college campuses. A decade ago, there were just 80. UC Davis was one of the first to open up its pantry buried in the basement. Now the pantry is at the heart of the campus. It's not intended for those with a meal plan or who can afford groceries, but it's open to anyone with a student ID, no questions asked. Do you fear that people will take advantage of the system? If we've got 10 students coming in and three didn't need it, I'm okay with that, as long as we get those seven who did need it. What kind of load does that lift off of you? Oh, huge. For Erin Cashin, a dozen eggs. She's stretching her dollars, but only taking what she needs. Pasta. You're being aware of everyone else who is in this struggle with you. I I think that's kind of what comes with a gift economy. Let me make sure I leave some behind for the next person. No regrets, no stigma, and one very big benefit. It would absolutely affect my academic performance. It would definitely affect mental health without being able to do this. That's certainly food for thought. Elise Preston, CBS News, Davis, California. That's time for G. Scott from the Giornusola Show. And boy, here's the dating app whose time has come. This is a genius idea. Oh, genius. What? What do you mean, genius? You like this? This new app. Tell me about it. I don't know about it. It's called Score. Colleen, it's called Score. Okay, this tells me something about it. All right. No, not that score. Okay. Yeah. This score is about your credit score. Oh. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah. I don't know what you're thinking, Colleen. So, anyway. I was thinking scoring people, like Facebook was created for, for giving people a number on attractiveness and all that. I figured it was superficial. Right, right, right. like that, actually. Yeah. (laughs) So, score, with this credit card, uh, credit score deal, you have to have a 675 or above to enter into this dating site. So I've been thinking about this because we talked about it yesterday. Um, At first, I didn't like it. And I didn't like it because I felt that it discriminated against me personally. Um, (laughs) What are you worrying about getting a date for? You're married. I mean, but still. (laughs) All right. I'm fine now. Mm -hmm. 
but previous. Yes. yes, I have a lovely wife. I would not have that wife right. if she would have jumped on that site. Same. You know what I mean? Same. I was rocking 675. Let me tell you something, Dave Ross. Yes. If you told me, hey, G, look here. When you get goals and things like that, you can you can get up to a 650 credit score. I would have been like, really? Really? I never seen 650 plus. I was. When What's I got, the lowest yours been? Yours has been 376. Just what? talked about. Yes, sir. How long yes, did ma'am? it take you to get back up there? <laughs> no, no. See, I was in some yours cars. And I don't know. Wow. Dave, Dave Raw, why you got that look on your face? Have you ever met anybody with a 376? I don't think so. <laughs> you just like backed away from G for some reason. <laughs> what is happening? So, let me. So, I was talking to our good friend Mar Dooley over there at our uh, 710, 710 yeah. over there, the Seattle Sports Station. And I asked Mara, I said, how important are finances of the guy that you're going to date? And she's like, well, very important, right? And I just remember before, let's just say before Amazon moved here to the Seattle area, when housing was kind of affordable, Mm -hmm. was decent, I think that more relationships got together based on love, based on, I see potential. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to be talking about that anymore when you start talking about the Seattle area, average apartment being $2,200 a month and a lot of housing affordability. We talk about that constantly. I think credit score and all these things are very important. So then why do did I change my mind about this? Well, here's why. Usually if you meet someone, you can kind of get a gauge on how much they make based on what they do, Right. I'm construction and I help build homes. I've been doing this for 15, 20 years. Mm. Yeah. He or she has some, got some little, little yeah, money yeah. in their pocket. Absolutely. This person works at Boeing and they've been in management for 25 years. Mm. Got a little bit of money, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what we don't know, we might have an idea of finances, but we never know the idea of that debt. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think score helps you determine that, right? Because a 675 and above, not saying that you don't have any debt, because we don't know what those student loans are about, right? But we do know that you're at least responsible. So I changed my mind, Hmm. because even when I was broke, I was broke and irresponsible too. So you think in order for somebody to fall in love now, they have to be, to know the person across from them is financially secure, and then they're allowed to fall in love. I think that uh, people more and more are going to start... Coming out and saying, I need to know finances first because of where we are in today's society. It is so tough to live, especially, look, Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about anywhere else, especially here in the state of Washington, especially here in Western Washington, where housing is just crazy. So it's okay to find out if Steve has a a 675 credit score. Let's just cut out the middleman. Everybody wears a jersey with their credit score on the back. That would simplify everything. There you go. Do you think your wife would have got with you? What's that? You, you think your wife would have got with you even when you were if broke? I, if I had debt? Yeah. Well, let's just say. She married a journalist. She had the debt at the time. <laughs> no, she we, mar- she was we married into. so long, uh, young, neither one of us had money. Yeah. Uh, so. back, back then, with it, yeah. Okay. But, I was the yeah. same with I wouldn't be with Chris. I mean, we both have lifted each other up. So this is crazy new dating world, these Gen Zers. Gian Ursula, starting at 9 o'clock. 
And in the news this morning, a refund scammer is targeting businesses in Skyway. Cairo News Radio's Sam Campbell has a story you will hear only on Cairo. Sam? Now, Dave, this happened at a coffee shop along Rainier Avenue South, Winnie's Coffee in Delhi. Uh, the owner tells me that this man came into her shop, ordered breakfast around 7.45 a.m. on February 8th. Uh, now, when he ordered the breakfast, he went to go pay with his phone, as people do with Apple Pay or other similar payment apps on their phone. But then he allegedly told the business owner, my phone isn't working. I need to put my info in manually. And so she turned the tablet around. You've seen those digital yes, cash registers. Right. She turns this tablet around to let him do that. And after spending about two and a half minutes doing that, and we verified it from surveillance footage that she gave us, um, he spends about two and a half minutes typing on the tablet. And then he turns it back to her and says, I'm sorry, it's not working. I need to get cash from my car. Now, she goes back into the tablet and examines just what was happening, uh, and she discovers that there were actually multiple refunds issued, and each refund totaling several hundred dollars. Wow. And so this, he knows how this system works, and he was able to access the refund function? Apparently so. You uh, mean to say that you don't have to log in separately to invoke that function on these things? If the cashier is already logged in, I would suppose not. And since the cashier was the one in charge of that transaction until turning around the uh, tablet, yeah. then I would assume that there is no auto uh, log uh. out function, considering that these refunds, she says, were ultimately issued. And, and this isn't a new problem. You know, back in June, we were told by police in Renton that that there were scammers doing the same exact thing, where they would go in, they would order food items from a local restaurant or a store, uh, they would claim that they're trying to pay with their phone, but their phone didn't work, and that they needed to enter in this information manually. Now, I asked her if she knows any other business owners in the area around Skyway that had seen this man and perhaps could speak to uh, the, the alleged scam. And she says, in fact, she does. And she gave us some screen grabs from surveillance footage in two other stores where the man is seen holding his phone as he talks to cashiers. Yeah. But by that point, she says, she had already reached out to those business owners and warned them mm. about this kind of scam. So they it, turned him away. They but did. that's suspicious. First of all, you know, it doesn't take it two and a half minutes to put your signature on a screen. And number two, in most websites that I'm familiar with that involve money, if you want to engage in a transaction beyond just like routinely checking your balance or something, they say sign in again. And sometimes, well, you know, if you've elected to do it, you have two-step verification so that you can uh, protect it. That sounds like a design flaw to me. This kind of back and forth over whose fault it is is actually something that she's going through right yeah. now. She said that she's been trying to get help recouping this financial loss because it's just a small coffee shop in a neighborhood. Yeah. But she's had some tr trouble with the bank. And then Key Bank Merchant, they said... Oh, you did it by yourself. This is not our responsibility. We're not reimbursed that money. Yeah. Well, I mean, to, that's what it looks like to the bank. Looks like the merchant issued a, a legitimate refund, right? She would argue that she included two in her correspondence to the bank. She included the police report that she's filed as mm -hmm. well as the surveillance video, which she would say testifies to her narrative, uh, but that the bank ultimately has stood its ground and said, uh, this is not our responsibility. Wow. wow. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Seattle's new minimum wage for app-based delivery drivers has cost Seattle businesses $1 million in just two weeks. Now, that's according to DoorDash. Cairo News Radio. 
Studios. Heather Bosch now joins us live in the studio with a closer look at the issue. Heather. Yeah, Colleen, I spoke with a co-owner of Indian street food restaurant Spice Walla, who says they're losing business. If we compare this January to January 2023, we've seen a decline of 30% in our business on the third-party delivery apps. Utam McCarji says his restaurants are no longer turning a profit, and he blames the $5 fee that app companies like Uber Eats and DoorDash have added to deliveries in Seattle. He says that adds a significant price to simple items. We serve a gachi roll for $8.50 on those platforms. And suddenly, the customer's paying over $20 for that one roll. Anna Powell is with DoorDash, and she defends the fee. Just like with any other business, when you see the cost of business going up, you know, you have to do something to kind of adjust for adjust for that cost increase. She says the Seattle law requires app-based drivers to make more than 26 bucks an hour now. And this is not about, about paying just the minimum wage. This is about paying well above that. But app-based delivery driver Kimberly Wolf isn't buying it. Oh, the, the customer. You know, we had to pass it on to them, but now we're losing customers. Oh, woe is me. It's all a bunch of BS. Wolf helped develop Seattle's new law, and she argues. These app companies have been making money off us for years. You know, we're their fleet that they don't pay for. She insists it's rare for a driver to make $26 an hour, saying they only get paid for the time they accept the offer until the time they deliver it, which is usually less than an hour. And supporters of Seattle's new law point out app-based delivery companies are far from struggling financially. Yahoo Finance reported that DoorDash revenue increased in the fourth quarter last year by 27% year over year to $2.3 billion. Spicewala survives on much slimmer margins. If we do not see an increase from in sales uh, in February itself, we I don't know if we'll be able to sustain ourselves. And though Wolf supports the new wage law, it may have put her out of work. She says the company she drives for, Shipped, has suspended service in Seattle because of it. As for Powell, she says DoorDash is happy to sit down with city leaders to talk about modifying the law or repealing it. And that, Wolf says, is the point to all this. They're doing this on purpose. She claims. For these companies is to make sure that this law does not get propagated to other cities, other states any of that. According to Wolf, the app-based delivery companies have an end game that's far outside of Seattle's delivery area. Aren't they just kind of eating themselves, though, DoorDash? If people are not using yeah. their service because of this fee, they're also not paying DoorDash. Wolf believes they're willing to take that hit in order to send the message to other cities, other counties and states. You do not want to pass this kind of law that ups the wages for delivery drivers. Were you able to ask the operators of Spicewalla how long they have before they might have to close? He's not sure. He said basically the month of February, they'll see what they, they're making. And the sad part to this is they're opening a third location in the Columbia City neighborhood this week. So oh, it man. should be a time where they're having a, you know excitement and, and becoming part of the community. But uh, he's just not sure they're going to survive. All right. Thank you for that report, Heather. They're probably the two most Notorious middle schoolers in the Seattle area, the two brothers, 12 and 13 years old, were chased down by police after an armed carjacking last week. One of the boys is now back home, and Kyra News Radio's Kate Stone is going to give us the latest details on this case, Kate. Yeah, the two boys are accused of carjacking a woman at gunpoint in North Seattle, then trying to carjack a second driver before police were able to chase them down, and body cam footage actually caught some of that. He's got a gun! Oh, they got a fire! Stop! 
Now, the boys were actually in court Tuesday, and as you mentioned, Dave, they got very different outcomes. The 12-year-old boy now home with his mother on electronic monitoring. The judge said that's partially because he seemed to have been following his older brother's lead. The judge said the cases were not necessarily the same, that the 12-year-old does not have the same criminal history as his older brother and is a good student. I have two, two different youth, and I, what I want to recognize is that each one needs to be judged within the context of what their actions were. Now, the judge made that call over the objections of both the prosecutor and the social worker in this case who opposed release for either boy, the social worker said. There's just a lot more on this family. I have concerns about being at mom's house. Mom does work full time. There's not going to be someone to supervise them at the home at all times. However, the prosecutor in the case did acknowledge the younger brother did present less of a public safety risk. Was not the driver, not fire shot into the air. And the boy's mother, who court documents say, called 911 on her own son. She was actually also in court, and she asked for both of them to be released. I think with electric home monitoring, he will be able to pull him stuff back together. She was talking about her older son there, but the judge said the 13-year-old does need to stay in detention due to prior incidents with guns and alleged gang ties. And it's important to note that judges are not exactly free to impose any type of condition. They are kind of bound by an offender score, which is outlined in state law. If a suspect in a case does not have you know, a high offender score, then the general guideline is to do the least restrictive method of, of keeping them in custody pending trial, which in this case is restorative justice, which and is something... And this is only for juveniles? This is not just for juveniles. For this is actually okay. for the entire criminal justice system. It's something that the city of Seattle advocates for all the way up to the state level is restorative justice first. Were there any details given on the other gun crimes and gang ties this 13-year-old has? No, they didn't give any details at this time, at least none that can be publicly confirmed at this moment, but they did say that he has some connections, especially in the Burien area, that they're especially concerned about, Mm. that if he's placed back into his mother's home specific that they are worried that he will will re-engage with those connections and and that he won't be able to comply with the electronic home monitoring, which was part of, partially the reason that they denied it for him. Where did he get the gun? That's a great question, Dave. Uh, they're still trying to kind of nail that down. We know that the guns were ghost guns, but it's not clear who bought them, who assembled There's them. There's more than one? Yeah, more than one. There ghost were two. Gun. There were two ghost guns. So somebody's out there selling or handing out ghost guns. Well, they're pretty easy to find online. They're easy to find they online. They are. Yes, President Biden has actually well, how done about an entire. Somebody from the FBI go online, find these sites, and go arrest those people. You can buy almost anything online. I know nowadays. that, but some of those things you buy online are illegal. I think you can buy fairies, state. Sully. Can, yeah, we, yeah, can we buy fairies yeah. online? Yes, you can. I found, I found a few, but there we don't go. want to get go down a rabbit no, hole on that. Not, let's stay let's on point. Let's not do that. And if this. 13-year-old has gang ties, then there are other adults in this boy's life who are providing weapons. So I'm not sure, you know, we've we've thrown out those theories about 3D printing the guns. How do you get the ghost guns? This kid has gang ties. That's where he's getting the guns. Well, and yeah, and essentially the judge said that's why he creates a greater public safety risk. But the judge also said in the case of the 12-year-old, while he was involved in the same crime, allegedly, the judge said there is room for compassion due to the fact that this is his first serious offense and that she was very strict with him in court, which is something that kind of gets lost in the translation. She said, look, this is a very 
serious crime. You cannot have any visitors in the home. There's a lot of conditions on him. And also, if you mess up, if you will be right back in detention. But this is your chance to kind of turn well, things that's around. Great, but messing up means somebody else gets carjacked. I mean, uh, I have plenty of compassion for young kids who are in troubled homes. Well, can I also less- have compassion for people who are just driving their cars and get yanked out. And the car taken away. That's a, a pretty uh, traumatic event, too. Right. Well, if he goes anywhere but school or home, that is, constitutes a violation. I see. And how quickly will they get the alert that he's gone astray? It, it goes to Department of Corrections immediately. What were the boys like in court? They were silent. They they only answered yes or no questions from the judge and the bailiff. Uh, the judge asked them, do you understand the seriousness of this? Both boys said yes. The younger one seemed, if I may just say anecdotally, very yeah. young. Uh, he, he fidgeted a lot with his hands. He, he had his head down. Uh, he seemed just sort of... I, I just he seemed like a 12 year old boy. Mm. The older one, we know that he, from it came out in court that he, he had some prior gun incidents. He seemed a little bit more familiar with the with the mm-hmm. system, with the procedure, if we might go so far as to say that. But the younger one especially seemed very uh, just, uh, I, I guess I would say shamefaced for, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. So there was some ins- some evidence of contrition. The um, were, were they kicked out? One of them said the mom had kicked them out, right? That was not confirmed in court. No. The mother was in court along with some other family members who said that they were going to step up and take responsibility. The grandfather of the boys specifically said that he was going to provide a solution oh. Support system. Okay, no so father? it's not just the mother. Uh, that was not clear in court, okay. but there were there were several adult figures. We know at least the mother of the two boys. Who again, the mother is the one that prosecutors say actually called nine one one on her own sons, but didn't identify herself mm. as their mother on mm. the nine one one call. Mm. But she was in court, and she, we actually heard from her in one of the sound bites. She said, you know, the boys just need electronic home monitoring supervision. And the judge said for the younger one, yes. For the older one, no, because that community support was in place before the family members and et cetera. And it clearly didn't, didn't work. work. Were any of the victims there? Uh, I did not see any victims there. It was a pretty empty courtroom except mm. for a bevy of reporters and then the family members of the accused. Yeah. Car News Radio's Kate Stone. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. It's Mickey time. Coming to you from someplace in the southwest desert or whatever. How are you? <laughs> or whatever. I'm well. <laughs> How are on? you? <laughs> it's the George Nury theme. It's yeah. coast to coast. To uh, so you're telling me that, uh, yeah, UFOs are still a big deal here, huh? They actually are. You know, uh, Washington continues to be a hotspot for UFOs. Which seems weird considering how cloudy we are. I know. I know. And I thought the same thing. And I wanted to dig deep. So I got to speak to uh, the National UFO Reporting Center to find out why. Look up in the sky. It's not a bird or a plane. It could be an unidentified flying object. According to Axios.com, Seattle is a UFO hotspot. We had 86.5 UFO sightings per 100,000 residents every year between 2000 and 2023. But that doesn't make us the hotspot. The National UFO Reporting Center spokesperson Christian Steffian says that title goes to 
no surprise, is down by Area 51 in Nevada. We think mainly because a lot of people actually go there to look for UFOs. But when it comes to reporting UFOs, Stepien says the Jet City is somewhere in the middle. People there are more observant. They're looking at the night sky more. They're, they're certainly more aware of the UFO reporting center and liable to report what they see. And how much of what's reported is legitimate? Um, if you look at our website, you'll see that we actually will mark a lot of the sightings as, hey, this is a rocket that was launched from Vandenberg or Cape Canaveral, or this is a meteor or somebody saw Venus or something like that. Stepien says. And um, that doesn't mean that because we didn't debunk it, it's not something prosaic, you know, like a Chinese lantern or something like that. But when it comes to certain videos. But there are also others that, you just there's no way there is no way this was some kind of human made craft. Like I said, a, a huge thousand foot craft hovering silently over a house. I asked him, you've seen a large craft hovering over a house. I know people who have. My wife has actually seen something like that. And if you don't believe Stepien, if you kind of ask your friends, your neighbors, your family, if you go around and ask people, have they ever seen anything? You're almost guaranteed to find someone who's seen something. Mm -hmm. He says another reason why Seattle might be a big hub for UFO sightings is because more people get outside when it's not raining. Mm. And so and they're looking up. And, you know, if you've never seen one before, he said, just go outside on a on a clear night. I'm looking at the map right now from Axios mm -hmm. on the number of sightings. And yeah. it's no surprise that the highest number of sightings in our state is north central Washington, which mm -hmm. would be the clearest as far as light pollution. Yeah. So I'm kind of looking at those. What's surprising, though, is that the United States map is almost split in half. Yeah. Where the you know West Coast and the, the I guess, West middle of the country has the most sightings and then almost nothing. On the, on the on east, east coast, coast, in the east central part I can of tell it. You why. Why yeah, please, Sully, tell us why. I got it on good authority. UFOs like to hang around volcanoes. Oh, mm -hmm. why is that? A lot of activity around is volcanoes. This a, is this a movie reference that no, I'm not, not going to at all? Okay. But, uh, I've quite researched the uh, topic. Yeah, you know they like okay. they like mountainous areas. They like uh, right. you know volcanoes. Yeah. yeah, all you have to do is talk to a pilot, and they'll tell you they <laughs> see some weird stuff. And up you there. know what? That's what Stepien said. He yeah. said that there are a lot of pilots who've seen some things, mm -hmm. and then when they go to report it, they're told. You can't say anything. Yeah. Yep. You know, well, that famous and, video that still has not been explained. Right. Right. And he also said. What famous video? Of the, Is it the uh, one fighter, the pilot, the, the fighter pilot yeah. stuff fighter that's pilot, come yeah. out over the last couple of years. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The gimbal video we've come to call it. I'm just trying to catch up the other listeners who might not know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah. when, you, when you, you know, this is an interesting topic. So if you are interested, Stepien said one of the best places, though, to go and look up into the sky on a clear night would be eastern Washington. Oh, he yeah. said that they get a lot of reports coming from there. He also said that now, you know, people call them UFOs, also UAPs, uh, which is an unidentified anomalous phenomenon. They're the same thing. I'm like, mm -hmm. I, I, like does, does it mean two different things? Because I'm reading UFO, I'm reading UAP. No. He's like, nope, they're the same thing. UFOs has gotten a bad rap right. and kind of a nerdy reputation. You know, so they had to yeah. change well, it. It makes sense because when you got one of those interplanetary ships, you got to fuel up someplace. So you go to a volcano where the magma's near the surface and you Might suck well. out the energy. And you go to eastern Washington because you got Hanford there, which has that all that the nuclear, uh, nuclear, nuclear reaction. They do center. like yeah. hanging around uh, nuclear programs. That's is that also what it is? one of the issues. Don't you know, one of the more famous ones in Washington State happened, I think it was back in the early 50s or 60s where a pilot going down, you know, Volcano mm -hmm. Alley saw 
five or six disc-shaped things going in a formation towards Mount Rainier, mm-hmm. and they disappeared into Mount Adams. No. Why not? Stop it. Yes. On video? Can no, well, no, it? no, not a, no. This is, this is what a pilot flying mm-hmm. has reported. Hmm. Disappeared well, into, into the volcano. Mount Adams. Into Mount Adams. Into Mount Adams oh as it drove by. As, the as, they, station as they flew by. Yeah. It's where the base is. Did of we course. go inside and try to find it? Oh, no. You, 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 can't, you can't do that. That's where the base is, Colleen. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, if you want a report that <laughs> you see. like, what did I do? <laughs> you know, I don't know if I believe or not. I've never looked oh, up believe. into the. It's fun. I, I, it is fun. It is fun. Um, but I've never seen anything out, you know, out of the ordinary up in the sky. I think I want to believe. Mm-hmm. But if you um, actually have caught something you can actually report it to the to the National UFO Reporting Center which is located here in Washington it's newfork.org n u f o r c.org and they'll they'll debunk it they'll tell you whether or not hey this we can explain this or hey we can't explain it right so i like the ones that they can't explain yeah, that, that's well, really I'm, cool. I'm fine with them visiting here but they should pay for their fuel like everybody else that's right they just sort of fill up and then run. Sky usage charge. Yeah. And with our taxes, you know, <laughs> yeah, and those extra crazy. fees, why not? Exactly. Just use some space credits to pay for our space credits. <laughs> <laughs> they took one look at Earth and went, no Cold thanks. Cold hard cash. <laughs> Moving on. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News, the podcast. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. You can find our podcast weekday mornings right at 930. And if you subscribe, you'll never miss the Daily Dose of Kindness.